Isaiah 12 today, we're going to be hearing and considering and hopefully singing the song of salvation. Isaiah 12 is a song. It's a song that tells us that the reason we sing is because of the salvation of the Lord. You know, it's a unique thing we do at church. You might think it's strange. We sing. We sing at church not a sing-along to a performer while the performer remains the point. That would be called a concert. At church, we are the singers, the congregation. Why? Because of salvation. Isaiah 12 first tells us what salvation is. Maybe this morning you're going to hear about God saving people, about the gospel, a message. And you might not have heard it before, or you might have heard it, but not clearly. And so, through a song, a psalm, you're going to hear about salvation. And it may be that today you come to faith in Jesus Christ, and when you do, there'll be a new song for you to sing in your life. Isaiah 12 will tell you, even if you have already trusted Christ, of the great grace of God that you already enjoy, and so maybe your song is going to be renewed today. Now I'm talking, and we're going to be talking about literal singing because Isaiah 12 is a psalm or a song, and we do sing, but it's so much more than that. We're going to be talking about living life with the song of joy, the song of salvation in our hearts. We're going to be talking about hope and trust and gratitude, a song of joy in and among a congregation like this, a song that becomes a ministry, a ministry of worship to the Lord, a ministry of proclamation to our city, a song that is really a spirit among us, an expression among us, a life among us because we've tasted and seen and experienced the grace and the glory of God in His salvation. Well, last week we were in Isaiah 11. And I told you when we started, I just want you to see the Messiah who reigns and who saves. Isaiah 12 is connected to Isaiah 11 because Isaiah 12 after seeing the Messiah, now is a song. I want you to hear a song today that comes from those who experience the grace of this Messiah and prayerfully, by God's grace, will sing with Isaiah today. Stand with me in honor of God's Word and hear Isaiah 12:1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. 
With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is God's Word. You may be seated. What a beautiful chapter. It reads like both a prophecy and a psalm or a song. As a prophecy, this tells us about a day. It says, in that day. We've been hearing this phrase over and over, and every time we hear it, we have to ask, what day? What time? Where are we in the message? In that day. Isaiah is talking about a day when the Messiah will be the rallying point. You remember last week? The Messiah will be the rallying point for the remnant of God's people who remain and who return from exile. And a rallying point for the nations. And when the people who are called out by God from all the nations rally to him, they're going to sing a new song in a new place in a new way. In that day, there's a sense in which it's fulfilled for Isaiah's day as the people did return from exile. There's a sense in which, the greater sense in which we're always looking forward. In that day is is a forward-looking phrase, always looking forward to the coming day where we're reminded in Revelation chapters 14 and 15 that the redeemed from the earth, those who have conquered, will sing a new song. And it will be the song of the Lamb. A day is coming. A day is coming, brothers and sisters. A day is coming when we are going to sing the song of the Lamb. The slain Lamb who overcame Sin, sickness, suffering, the devil, the world. It's a song we're going to sing to him in that day. Isaiah is telling us about it. We're looking forward to it. It's a prophecy. But it also reads like a psalm. It was said and it was sung by God's people who returned from exile. His discipline, his judgment will soon be over. We're going to get to Isaiah 40. You'll hear that again. This is a song that will be sung in that day as the people return. But it's also the song that will be sung in the day when Christ returns. And it's the song that we sing today. Those who have experienced the grace of God, the saving accomplishments of God, are going to sing the song to the Lord. The accomplishments of Christ in the cross. Have you, this morning, this Lord's Day, did you wake up and rehearse the graces of God and salvation? Have you thought of the cross yet today? It's it's 11.13. Have you rehearsed the greatness of God's salvation for you today? I hope you have. That's what causes us to sing. In that day, 
Now Isaiah is writing in a day when the people of Israel have been in such spiritual decline that God disciplined them and judged them with exile, purging the sin from them, returning them back to their homeland after the exile. They will give thanks to the Lord. They will proclaim His name. But when I read this, it's for Isaiah's day, but when I read this, my mind immediately goes to a scene in the New Testament 700 years after this prophecy psalm was given in Isaiah's day. I go to the temple in Jerusalem in my mind, Luke chapter 2. It's just a few days after Jesus was born and his parents to do exactly what Moses told them to do in the book of Exodus, take Jesus up to the temple, and they're going to present him to the Lord, and they're going to offer up a sacrifice. When they get to the temple, there's an old man named Simeon. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he spent his days waiting for the Messiah. Now, if you ever think to yourself, I don't need to sit around and wait for the Messiah. He'll come. Doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm just going to get on with my life. Go read about Simeon. He spent his days not only at the temple waiting, but in his heart waiting for the Messiah. God blessed him for waiting. He saw him. He saw Jesus. And he took him in his arms. And this is what he said. Quote, Now, Lord... You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He's singing the song. There's at least a partial fulfillment of Isaiah 12 in the life of Simeon in Luke 2. But there was a woman there with him. Her name was Anna. She was a prophetess. She was elderly and a widow. And night and day, it tells us, that she stayed in the temple, fasting and praying. What was she doing? She was also looking, waiting for the Messiah. And she too, along with Simeon, saw Jesus. And when she did, she began to give thanks to God. And it says in Luke 2, she spoke of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Two people, enabled by the Holy Spirit to see the promised Messiah, to see Isaiah 11 last week, the shoot of, from the stump of Jesse, the root of Jesse. Do you remember that last week? That was the Messiah. Two people now, 700 years later, singing the song that Isaiah wrote in chapter 12, the song of salvation, because the Holy Spirit enabled them to see with the eyes of their heart, this is the one, and everything changed. Simeon and Anna could have been in Hebrews chapter 11. And it would have said something like this. By faith, they held him in their arms and gave praise to God for his salvation. 
if God lets us see, if the Spirit of God opens your eyes today to let you see, and then if you believe, if He lets us believe, then we're going to sing. If we leave today, having seen, having believed in His name, having understood the nature of salvation, the deep wells, the waters of grace of the salvation of Christ, and then to be sent out to live out of the waters of salvation, the life of joy, making His name known in our city and to our families and our world, then the Holy Spirit will have been very, very good to us today. That's what Isaiah 12 is about. Here's the structure of it. It's in two parts, verses 1 and 2, the first part, verses 4 through 6 or the second part, and then there's a middle verse, a connector verse, verse 3. Verses 1 and 2, part 1, it says, you will say in that day. Now the word you is singular here, and you'll notice that the pronoun I dominates. That means a single individual is singing this song. This part of the song, verses 1 and 2, is the song of the individual who experiences the grace of God. Now, this is not an isolated individual. This is not an alone individual. This is not an individual removed from the people of God with some kind of private faith. This is the each one among you kind of individual. This is the each person in the greater people of God, the individuals who each have personal faith but who belong to the congregation of God. That's the first part. The second part, verses 4 through 6, it says again, and you will say in that day, but this you is plural. This is the song of the congregation that is exalting Christ and singing Christ together. Verse 3 connects it. The individual part and the corporate part are joined together with verse 3, singing the song that is the joy of salvation. This is the reason that we sing, not just sing literally, but have a life of song, live a life for God's glory and praise to God because of His great salvation. I want to start in verse 3. Read with me again. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Beautiful. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Have you drawn water from the wells of salvation in Christ. Water, such a beautiful image. Simple, isn't it? Have you ever noticed how all the images in the Bible are so simple? There's nothing complex about them. Water, light, rock, bread, blood. Water. The waters are life-giving. The waters of salvation are the grace of God for life, the life of God himself in the soul of a human who believes. Amazing. It's the well of salvation. Exodus chapter 17, the first great exodus out of slavery when God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. And his people are in the wilderness. 
And they're not there very long because it doesn't take long to get thirsty, does it? They're in the wilderness and they're thirsty and they cry out to God and say, are we going to die out here? And God miraculously provided water. Literal. The wells of salvation, the water of the well of salvation here, he's talking about salvation, spiritual water, but in, in the wilderness, at the Exodus, it was literal thirst, literal water he drew out from a literal rock to keep them alive. That's what water does. It keeps people alive. Later, in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul reaches all the way back to Exodus 17, and he says, you know what? That rock was Christ. Because Christ is the source of living water for your soul. Isaiah 55, we'll get to. Sometime in 2000, no, not, not too much longer. We'll get there. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He's talking about life. John 4, we read it together just a moment ago. Jesus and the woman of Samaria, or we call her the Samaritan woman. They're at the well of Jacob. That's a great place to be when you're going to make a point about living water. Little FYI for you. Uh, the Samaritans? Samaria was the capital of the northern part of God's people called Israel. We've been talking about that in our time in Isaiah. Samaria was the capital up there in the northern part. Samaria, Israel, you'll recall, we've been saying in Isaiah, is captured will be captured, will be taken captive by Assyria. That's the whole context of Isaiah. And what do they do? They repopulate Samaria with non-Jewish people after they take the Jewish people out in exile. They repop the Assyrians repopulate Samaria with non-Jewish people, and the Jewish people who remain or who return eventually intermarry with these non-Jewish people who were pop repopulated there, and they become known as the Samaritans, contemptibles among the Jews. And Jesus shows up at the well of Jacob and talks to a Samaritan woman, and he offers her and them, not just her, them. He offers them, the Samaritans, the living water through her testimony. Whoever drinks the water that I will give will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That just makes me thirsty. John 7. Jesus stood at a crowd, stood up before a crowd one day. And he just, it was a feast, it was a festival, they were there, they had spiritual things on their mind, so it wasn't just completely out of the blue, but still, he stands up in the middle of these people and just says it out loud. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Revelation 22. In the new Jerusalem. In the new city of God. The city of God's glory. Where the Messiah will reign. There will be a river. The river of living water running through the streets. Watering the tree of life. So that nations can be healed by its leaves. Water. No big deal until you're thirsty. No big deal until you're wasting away. Until you're dying. And then it's your life. And it's your joy. That's why he calls it in verse 3 of our text... The, you, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Why, why joy? Because you know you're going to die without it. Spiritually, everybody's wasting away. Spiritually speaking, everyone is wasting away. Spiritually speaking, everyone is dying. And that's what thirst means. It doesn't mean, oh, I have a longing for some, something out there. No, it's you are literally in a state of thirst, whether or not you realize it. Spiritually, everyone thirsts. And Jesus is the water. Jesus is the well. Jesus is the river. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the life. Have you drunk from Him? Have you drawn from the well of His salvation? Have you come to Christ? Say, yeah, when I was such and such age. No, I mean this morning. Again, now, are we repenting and believing and receiving wave upon wave of grace from God like the real watery waves of the shore? Come to Christ and then enjoy, you'll sing. Well, that's just the connector verse. The first part of the passage then your song, verses 1 and 2. Then you will have a song. Verses 1 and 2, first, it's a song of salvation. He says in verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord. Why give thanks to the Lord? Look at verse 1. Because I give thanks to the Lord for or because though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Now, this is strange to the ears of modern people. I understand that, but it is the eternal word of God, and so we're going to talk about it. The reason for the song and the thanksgiving has to do with the anger of God. He says, your anger has turned away, and now you comfort me. Do you remember just a few weeks ago when we were in Isaiah chapter 9, 
And there were, in 10, there were four verses, and they all said the same thing. They were troubling verses. We talked about it then. And here's, here are the verses. His anger is not turned away, and his hand is still stretched out. Now, in the context of chapters 9 and 10, what that means is that the wrath of God, the anger of God against the sin of his people continues. And his hand of judgment and discipline continues. And that's a hard, that's a hard word, but it's a real word. It's reality whether or not we choose to accept it. The anger of God, the righteous wrath of God against human sin is a reality whether or not we like it. If we say, I don't want an image of God like that, it does not change the reality. It would be better if we receive the reality and then keep reading. Because he says here in this verse, verse, verse 1 of Isaiah 12, Though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. How did the anger of God against human sin turn away? In Isaiah's day, we would say, well, it turned away when the exile was over and the discipline was over and the people got to go back to their homeland. Partially. But it's, it's a word about a spiritual reality that continues to exist. The wrath of God is still upon sinners. How is it turned away? The word and history unfold. And in that we see light and we see the light coming even as Isaiah, in Isaiah to understand that the wrath of God against us and our sin, in our state of sin, is turned away through Jesus Christ. The hint of it is there in Isaiah 53. He bore the wrath of God. It says the chastisement that brought us peace fell upon him. The, the punishment, the wrath bearing fell upon Christ that it might be removed from us, that we might be at peace, not at enmity, reconciled. Isaiah 53. Romans chapter 3. 1 John 2. You can read that when you go home. Romans 3. 1 John 2. It says that he, Christ, is the propitiation for our sin or for the wrath of God. What does that mean? It's a big word. Propitiation is a word that references a sacrifice. And the sacrifice has a twofold effect. The sacrifice of Jesus has a twofold effect. The first is it satisfies the wrath of God. The righteous wrath and anger of God against human sin poured out on Jesus, who is God. Second, Accomplishment is that then, through faith, it justifies the sinner. It's a twofold effect. Satisfying the wrath of God, justifying the sinner. Declaring the sinner forgiven, free, not judged, 
able to come into his presence. It's amazing. That's how the wrath is turned away. It's turned away in Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 and 5. Christ delivered us from it. Praise his name. Christ bore the wrath and the anger of God against our sin, against us. In himself. And so by faith, we are delivered. It's a song. This is why he says he's singing. Because wrath is gone. And it's comfort. It's the comfort of the Lord. That's why it's also a song of assurance. Our sins and the wrath of God have been removed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are free. Friend, you can be free. You do not have to live under the judgment of God. You do not have to live under the wrath of God. You can be free. Take assurance in that. This is our comfort, the catechism says. This is our comfort in life and death. The assurance of knowing that he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. This is my comfort in life. My comfort in life, your comfort in life, has nothing to do with you being able to make up with God. Your comfort in life has nothing to do with you being able to cover up your sin. Your comfort in life has to do with one thing and one thing only, that Jesus Christ paid the price in full for your sins with his precious blood. This is your comfort and your assurance in this life. Do you know this? Do you have this assurance? If you do, you will have joy. You want joy? You can't buy joy. You don't have enough money to buy joy. You only get joy as a gift from Almighty God who sent God the Son to take His wrath for you. And there's freedom in that and there's, there's life in that. And then it becomes a song of trust. Verse 2, he says, Behold, God is my salvation, and I will trust, and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. You can, if you're a Bible marker, mark that one. Take it with you this week. Write it out on a three-by-five card. Put it on your mirror. I don't know. Just make sure this week that you bask in that. Trust Christ. Give thanks. Be assured. Take comfort. Don't be afraid. That's your song. And then we have a song. The second part of the text. Verses 4 through 6, you are not alone. We were not meant to be alone. We're not meant to sing alone. We sing together. Together we delight in salvation. Together we proclaim salvation verse 4 and you will say in that day the you here as i've already said is plural this is the assembly now this is the congregation now you see each one of us in the congregation who know christ can say i now we together we say we we who have drawn from the wells of salvation we now have joy with that what do we do together together we give thanks the dominant expression of a congregation that knows the grace of God is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Gratitude. We give thanks. I don't even want to try to 
contrast that with anything. Like what we're like when we don't give thanks. Because I think I would rather say, just go draw from the wells of salvation. Go draw again from the wells of salvation and the thanksgiving will well up inside of you. And what do we do? We give thanks. And he says, verse 3 or 4, we call upon his name. We pray. We are a people who first and foremost turn to Christ in prayer. Not turning on each other, not even turning to each other. First, turning to Christ. Calling upon his name. This is our hope. And what do we do? Keep reading. Verse 4, we make known his deeds among the peoples. We tell of the cross and the resurrection and the blessings of salvation. These are the great deeds. We can go all the way back and tell of the exodus. And we can tell of the return of the exile. But eventually, we're going to come to Christ, who's the greatest deed of God of all, the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, all the blessings of salvation. And what do we do? Keep reading. We proclaim his name, that he is exalted, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We sing praises to the Lord who has done gloriously, it says. Moses sang the song, just like Isaiah. When after the exodus, uh, Moses sang a song just like this one. And here Isaiah has come to the end of the first major section in chapter 12 where he's been talking about judgment and deliverance and Messiah and he too sings a song. We sing the song of praise. Why? Because God has done gloriously. We let this be made known in all the earth. This is the truth. There are no boundaries for the gospel. Listen, nobody Nobody was ever given the authority to divide up the world and to assign religions to other countries and other peoples and say that religion belongs here and that religion belongs here and that religion belongs here and everybody's got to respect that. Nobody was ever told they could do that. There is one Lord Jesus Christ. He crosses every boundary. He's for every person. This is to be made known to the whole world earth I think we think that Jesus is small I think we think that Jesus is local I think we think that Jesus is provincial Jesus Christ is Lord and he's Lord for the whole earth let's pray for the people of Nashville who are here from the whole world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, it's a few years ago I would have naively thought that I would have to travel to the mountains of northern India where I did and sit down in a, in a mud thatched house on a dirt floor to talk to a man about Christ for the first time and now we understand that all we have to do is drive down the street and there are people here who have never heard the name or at least the name with any sense of clarity Jesus they've never heard the gospel and they live right here
So when we say let his name be made known among all the earth, you don't have to travel far. Let's pray. And do you see the directional nature of this in this congregational song? It goes up and it goes out. It's to the Lord in thanksgiving. It is out to the nations. What a ministry we have. This song is telling us that we have a ministry. We have a ministry to God. When we drink, when we draw from the waters of the wells of salvation, we have a ministry to God. I remember the first time I wrote that phrase in the vision of Grace Community Church. I said, what are the ministries of grace? And I wrote down, we have a ministry to God. And someone said, that's strange. I've never thought of having a ministry to God. We have a ministry to God in the ministry of praise, in the ministry of thanksgiving, in the ministry of glory, glorifying God for his great salvation. And we have a ministry to the world by making Christ known to the whole earth. And we have a ministry to each other by joining each other in this ministry to God in the world. It's a ministry from the heart of joy that draws deep from the wells of salvation. And verse 6 We sing this song because Emmanuel, the Holy One of Israel, is in our midst. I hope today you haven't thought exclusively of our worship service, which I absolutely love, by the way. Highlight of my week is right here in this room on Sunday morning. But I I hope you haven't thought exclusively of the worship service because the song we sing is beyond the worship service the song we sing is the life we live of joy and praise to god for his salvation father thank you for your word today